sometimes it's hard for me to believe that I have been alive longer without her than I ever was with her. Because it seems like not a day goes by that I don't see and feel her influence on my life. And I think all of us can say that about our mothers. We probably don't realize it until we get a little older, how much influence they really played in our growing up and even in our maturing. I mean, you, you look at the way we perceive things. You look at the way we say things. You look at the way we even think. And many of us have our mothers to thank for that. Matter of fact, most of us could probably look at some of the things in our lives that we are most passionate about and draw a direct correlation to something that our mother was passionate about. Because moms seem to pass on their passion. I know in my own life, the three things that I consider uh, to be most passionate about uh, are all directly related to, to my mother. Because, see, my mother loved music. And when I was growing up, we always had music in the house. She loved watching old MGM musicals, and so she would sing show tunes all the time. And I grew up singing show tunes. I grew up loving Broadway plays and musicals and, uh, because she loved it. But she would go from a show tune to an old hymn, and then she would go into a country song, and then maybe a 70s uh, rock song, and she would be singing it around the house. She woke me up. Uh, singing, which drove me crazy, rise and shine and give God the glory on a horrible school day. But she instilled in me a love for music. I can't sing a lick, but if you were to come to my office, you would hear uh, an eclectic mix of music. I listened to everything from Johnny Cash to Broadway plays to Justin Timberlake to George Strait and, it, and worship music and old hymns, and it's all mixed in together because my mom instilled that passion in me. My mom also instilled a passion with a love for Jesus Christ and a love for the church. My mom loved Jesus Christ and she loved the church. I can't remember a time when I was little that we weren't at church because my parents volunteered for everything. They were always there. If the church needed somebody to do something, my parents were there and from a little bitty age, I was there with them. Whether it was RAs and GAs or working in the student ministry or going on a mission trip or vacation Bible school, my parents taught me the importance of being a part of the body of Christ. Matter of fact, it was after vacation Bible school when I was five years old, uh, 45 years ago this June, that on the Sunday after vacation Bible school, and, and it had been a long week, we used to do vacation Bible school in the mornings, and we would get there early, and we would stay late because my parents were working. Then she would go home, and she would take whatever I learned, and she would share with me how that relates to my life. And after that vacation Bible school, one of my first memories is I remember sitting in church that Sunday, and the pastor at the end of the sermon saying, if anyone wants to ask Jesus into your heart, you come. And without asking my parents, without ever talking to them as a five-year-old, I scooted out into the aisle and began to walk down. Now, I, I think my parents probably followed me scared to death down because they didn't know I was coming. But I went down and looked that preacher in the eye and said, I want Jesus in my heart. That's because my mother instilled that in me. She provided an opportunity for me to do that. She also created a foundation for what I do now. She taught me the importance of being a part of the body of Christ. And, and, and it has influenced everything that I've done since then. She also 
had a love for books. Probably the most important thing that, that she had that still just overwhelms me was her love to read. I, I, she always had a book in her hand, no matter where we were going or what we were doing. And in between, while she waited on wash, while she uh, waited on the dishwasher, while she was folding clothes, she had a book open. And if she wasn't reading a book herself, she was reading a book to me, usually with music playing in the background. It's probably why I'm ADD today. But it was always, she was always stuff going on, but she would read. And she instilled in me a love to read. Matter of fact, the summers between my 6th and 7th grade year, uh, I got mono. And uh, mono, I don't know how it is today, but back in the 70s, it was like uh, you had smallpox. They quarantined you. They put you off away from everything. And it was summer break, and I was 12 years old. And, and, and I had to stay in my bedroom for three weeks uh, and couldn't see anybody. Now, three weeks when you're 12 and, and it's summer break, that's an eternity. And, and you have to remember back in the mid-70s, there was nothing on television. If you didn't like game shows and soap operas, you were in trouble. And so after the Price is Right and all my children, I didn't have anything to do. I mean, uh, and so my mom went down to the municipal library and she checked out eight books, because that's as many as you could check out at one time, eight history books and historical fiction books, and she brought them to me in my room, and she gave those books to me. And I spent the next week devouring those eight books, and she took them back and got eight more. And I spent the second week reading every one of those books. And in that time period, watching my mom and learning to, to make reading a part of my life, I became obsessive with reading. So much so, if you go to my office, you'll see just some of my books. You, you've seen my library. That's because of my mother, because she gave me a passion for knowledge, a passion to want to read more about the things that are going on in this world, and that still influences me to this day. I haven't stopped reading. Matter of fact, if you were to ask what heaven would be like for me, if you got beyond a, a gentle stream and a fly rod, it would be a quiet porch in the big, thick book with no disturbance. Because you see, reading was that important to me. And so on this Mother's Day, while we sing some wonderful songs, while we talk about our love for Jesus, and while we read from the most incredible book, I want to thank my mother. Even though she's been gone, I want to thank her for giving me that passion. See, one of the things she taught me about reading, and we talked about reading a lot, and even in the last days of her life, she spent the last two and a half years of her life in a nursing home with diabetic issues, and diabetes began to, to steal her eyesight when she was in her late 30s, and uh, she had to get books with bigger print. I mean, they would get so big that the print was huge, but she wanted books, and then we got books on tape because she never stopped reading. But one of the things she always told me, and people give me a hard time about this today, is, is if you find a good book, after you read it, don't throw it away. Keep it. People say, well, you need to give away your books, and one day I'll give them all away. But until then, I keep them. Why? Because I reread them. Because, you see, my mom taught me that as you read and as you grow and as you get older, what the books say to you, what you get out of the books, change. Because your life and worldview changes. As you experience life a little differently, as you experience some things in life, what that book may teach you changes. And after you read a book, if you've got a really good author, because authors will put elements within a book that will really surprise you. After you read a book, there's a lot of times that it changes, the ending changes the way that you read a book. And so you may have read a book one time through, and you come to the ending, and it changes what you know about a character that you've been reading about. And so the second time you read it, you read it in a different light. 
Let me give you an example that some of you may know. Uh, the Harry Potter book series, and some of you may have read the Harry Potter book series, and, and yes, I've read Harry Potter. Don't send me any emails. I believe in separating reality and fantasy, and I think it's a great book for, for children. I think it's a great book for kids. But in the Harry Potter series, and I've read them several times through because I wanted to see what all the fuss was about, whether or not I'd recommend them to my kids. Uh, but in the Harry Potter series, one of Harry Potter's greatest enemies besides Voldemort, which was his greatest enemy, was one of his professors at school. Severus Snape was considered uh, just a bad guy in every one of the Harry Potter books you've read. He, he was always picking on Harry. He was mean to Harry. And, and I can't tell you, if you've read the book, by the time you get to the fourth or fifth book, you're just ready for him to go because he's been so mean to Harry. But when you come to the last book, you find out that all along, this professor that had been so mean to him and been so tough on him was actually in agreement with the professor, with the, the headmaster of the school, to watch over Harry, to protect Harry. And all throughout the books, his goal was to keep him safe. He wasn't his greatest enemy, he was his greatest ally. And after you read that, then you go back and read all of those other books, and it changes what you think about that professor. Because he once was a bad guy, now you see his actions not as being bad, but being good. That's the beauty of a great book. Many great books do that. Matter of fact, the Bible does that. When we read the Bible, many times when we're young, it's easy for us to, to get a character, to get a person in the Bible and pigeonhole them into one category. We think uh, they're a bad guy, right? Or I can't believe that person did that. And, and we think about them in that light. But as we get older and as we get more mature, not only do we realize that people in the Bible are not one-dimensional, but also that some of the things that they did we see in our own lives. I mean, think about some of the characters. Think about the Pharisees. All of us grow up, and maybe you still have it in your mind that the Pharisees were bad guys. I mean, Jesus was always on them, wasn't he? He was always condemning them. He was always confronting them. But the Pharisees' greatest sin was that they were committed to the Word of God. The problem for the Pharisees is they were so committed to this legalistic system of salvation that it caused them to not be willing to change, not be willing to accept any change or to even see any change. Now, when I was a kid and I would hear vacation Bible school stories and, you know, they would put up the felt board and you would have the, you know, Jesus over here and the Pharisees. The Pharisees always looked like a gang of bad guys ganging up on Jesus. So I grew up thinking these guys were bad guys. But guess what? As long as I've been serving in church now, I've experienced a lot more people within the Christian church who struggle with legalism and struggle with, with, with pharisaical attitudes to the point that it won't allow them to experience change in their life. And it's made me rethink how I look at the Pharisees because many of us at times in our life and seasons in our life have exhibited the same characteristics. What about Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ? Poor Thomas, he even has a negative pseudoname, a negative nickname. What is he known as? You're taught from a child, Doubting Thomas. When somebody doubts something, what do they say? You're a Doubting Thomas. How horrible is that? All Thomas did was voice what everybody else was thinking in the room. Nobody else had the guts to say it. The disciples came back. The ladies came back. Jesus had been resurrected. They said, listen, Jesus is alive. We saw Jesus. And everybody else was sitting around stupefied and Thomas steps up and goes I want to see him and so all of a sudden he's doubting Thomas he's a bad guy he said what most of us would say 
Show it to me. And Jesus' response to Thomas was one of the greatest teachings on faith in John 10. He says, Blessed are you who have seen, but even more blessed are those who have never seen and yet still believe. Think about the prodigal son. How many of us have read the story of the prodigal son and thought, how in the world could he give up all of those blessings that his daddy gave him? How in the world could he walk away? And and we thought bad about the prodigal son. We thought, you know, he was an evil kid until in our lives we found ourselves sitting at the pig trough in the far country because we ran away from God. All of a sudden the prodigal son wasn't such a bad guy anymore. See, the Bible is full of characters that are rich, that are multidimensional. That as you read the Bible through different times of your life, you see them in different light, and the Holy Spirit will teach you different things as you read. And, and that's one of those people that I want to talk about this morning. Because, see, I want to talk about a, a character who happens to be a mother on Mother's Day who got a bad rap. And I don't know why she gets a bad rap, because what I think is she provides us a great example of what any mother who loves Jesus Christ would pursue to be. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to look at this mother that gets a bad rap. And I think not only can we redeem her this morning, but I think maybe we can learn from her. Matthew chapter 20, we're in verse 20. Now, in this context, Jesus and his disciples are heading towards Jerusalem. This is headed towards Passion Week. They're headed towards the last uh, time of Jesus' life. And you need to remember that as Jesus has been preaching two and a half years now, he has gathered a following. Matter of fact, if you're reading Luke's version, Mark's version, it says crowds are following him. And so there are a lot of people. It's not just Jesus and the disciples camping out on the road. There are people following him into Jerusalem. And you've got to remember also the reason Jesus is going to Jerusalem in the first place is for Passover, which is the greatest Jewish holiday that they celebrate. So it's probably not just Jesus and the disciples and followers. It's probably all of their families because if they're a Jewish believer, they go to Jerusalem for Passover. So they're all probably going together. Now, we don't know who had family except for the one that's mentioned here, James and John. They had their mama with them. And as they had their mama with them, she decides to take matters into her own hands. And so let's read what happens. Verse 20, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked him a favor. What is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine might sit at your right, and the other might sit at your left. Jesus said, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And both of the boys answered, We can. And Jesus said, Indeed, you will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant, for these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And when the ten other disciples heard this, they were indignant. And the two brothers, they were mad at them. And Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must become a servant." See, Jesus used this example of this mom coming to him and asking a question to teach what it means to be a leader. 
Now, we don't know her name. She's not listed. We know James and John. Uh, we're known as the sons of Zebedee, sometimes called the sons of Thunder. And since we don't know her name, we're just going to call her Mrs. Thunder. I like that. Or Mama Thunder, if some of you would rather call her Mama Thunder. Uh, we also know that James and John and Peter were the closest to Jesus relationship-wise. They were the ones that he took to the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, so I, I believe that probably Mama Thunder had been with them a while, and Jesus Jesus probably knew her. Now, we don't know if the sons put Mama up to that or if Mama decided on her own to go ask Jesus. I like to think that Mama decided on her own. And I like to think it probably embarrassed the boys. Any of you have a mom like that? When you were in, in Little League and you weren't getting the playing time and Mama said, I'm going to go talk to the coach, come with me. And you're like, no, Mama, don't go talk to the coach. I think that's kind of what this was like. I think Mama said, listen, you boys have been with Jesus long enough. It's time to go get everything straight. I'm going to go talk to Jesus. And they were like, no, Mama, don't talk to Jesus. No, Mama, you don't have to talk to Jesus. She's like, I'm going, and you're coming with me, right? Can you see her? I mean, Mama Thunder, she has her mind set. She is determined. And I can see, you know, James and John kind of looking down and shoulders, you know, like Jesus, you know, like Jesus looks up, what do you want? Right? That's kind of the picture that I like to see here. I mean, how many of you have mamas like that? Any of you? Amen. Praise God for bold mamas. I mean, they, you, they embarrass you to death, but once you get older, you're so thankful for them, right? Unless you marry somebody who was a bold mama. Woo. Blessings on you. Mama, mama Thunder has got a bad rap because the other disciples got mad. And what's happened over time is we have taken on the offense of the other disciples and we've gotten mad with them. But why should we be mad at Mama Thunder because the other disciples' moms weren't bold enough to go say it for themselves, right? So what did she ask? What did she do that was so bad? Well, what I want to suggest to you is what she asked of Jesus is exactly the same passion that every mother should seek for their child. It's exactly the same thing that every mother should pursue with their child, and it should be something we should celebrate. What did she ask? Well, the first thing she asked is she wanted her sons to be a part of God's kingdom. She went and said, Jesus, I want my boys to be about your kingdom. That should be the heartbeat of every mother. She said, Jesus, I want them to work with you. And I can think of no greater task of motherhood than for a mom to pray and do all they can so that their child will be a part of God's kingdom. See, she just wanted, him to, wanted them to be in. One of the greatest gifts you can give your children, mothers, is your prayer. And one of the greatest prayers you can pray for your child is that they be a part of God's kingdom, that they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, we can't make our kids' spiritual decisions for them. Their kids will give an account on their own, but we can saturate them in prayer. We can provide every opportunity for them to be exposed to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's our responsibility. That's what we're accountable for. That's what we were doing here with baby dedication. We were saying we commit to making sure that that precious Charlotte has every opportunity to hear and to see it in our lives the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, mamas. Your prayers will not go unanswered. 
Don't give up. No matter what's going on in your child's life, no matter where, what place they're at in life, no matter how old your child is, don't give up praying for them to be a part of God's kingdom. I can't tell you how many adults in my 30 years of ministry have come to me and accepted Jesus Christ later in life. When I talk to them and walk them through the process and we begin to, to talk about what is an influence on their life, a great majority said, the reason I'm here is because my mama never gave up. She's still praying for me. So I'm going to tell you, mothers, the greatest gift that you can give your children on Mother's Day is to pray the way that Mama Thunder did. If you have kids that are grown up, if you have kids that are, are saved and doing great, if you don't even have kids, then you can do a great service by praying for other people's kids. Praying for your neighbor's kids, praying for your grandkids, praying for your friend's kids, praying for the kids that you encounter here at church because there is power in a mama's prayer. One thing I try to tell parents more than anything else that we've got to understand we are accountable for our kids' spiritual heritage. You're accountable. You'll stand before God someday and give an account for the opportunities that you provided for your kids to hear and see the message of Jesus Christ. See, it's not going to matter if your kid was the most talented. It's not going to matter if your kid made all A's. It's not going to matter if your kids started every game in sports. It's not going to matter what all they did that the world would call a success. What matters most is do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because you see, they can have all of that, and without a relationship to Jesus Christ, it's all in vain. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? See, parents today will tell me, Pastor, I don't like to force my kids to come to church. I don't want to make them come. I let them decide. But yet, you force them to go to school. You don't let them decide whether or not they go to school. Many of you force them to be a part of extracurricular activities. You don't give them an option. I'm tired. I don't want to go to baseball practice. I'm tired. I don't want to go to dance. You get up and make them. But yet the greatest opportunity for them to learn and grow spiritually, you leave up to them. They are not spiritually mature enough to make that decision. You say, well, when are they? 25, 26, 30, 40? You see, as long as they're in your home, you will give an account. And I urge you parents to do an evaluation. Look at all the things that your child is involved in and ask yourself, which one of those things, including church, vacation Bible school, Sunday school, church on Sunday, whatever it is, all the things they do. And then ask yourself, if you had to ask your kids, which one of these things is the most important thing to mom or dad, what would they say? Because the truth is indicting. We have a responsibility. They are watching you. When I was a kid, people have heard them say we had a drug problem. Our parents drug us to church. They drug us to vacation Bible school. They drug us to children's church. And they drug us to choir. And listen, I, I never resented or were angry at my parents for dragging me to church. Did I always want to be there? No. I wanted to sleep in on Sunday morning. I wanted to want to do something else on Wednesday night. I wanted to go do stuff with my friends instead of loading the car and going. But it provided a foundation because I wasn't mature enough to know what was best for me. My parents were. Parents, I want to encourage you. It was a priority for Mrs. Thunder. And she went right to the top. She went straight to the Son of God. And you can too. 
praying for your children should be the greatest priority that you have. And I hope every parent, father and mother that's here, is burdened to go straight to the throne of God on a daily basis for your child, lifting them up. Mrs. Thunder thought it was a big deal, but not only was she satisfied with them just being a part of the kingdom, she wanted them to be active in the kingdom. See, she didn't want them just to be part of it. She wanted them to be doing something. So she went to Jesus and said, listen, I want my boys right up there with you. I want them serving. I want them leading. Jesus says, if they want to be great, what do they have to do? They have to serve. And so she said, they'll do whatever it takes. I believe in them. You see, the passion of a mother is that their children should be involved in the serving and the work of the kingdom of God. See, we shouldn't be happy just with our kids coming to church. Shouldn't be happy just that they know the songs or they can quote a few scriptures. Our heartbeat should be that they want to serve God with everything that they have. Mrs. Thunder's desire was that her kids would serve, honor, and glorify God in everything they do. Let me ask you this. Where do you think kids, children, get their ideas about church? About what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to live out Christianity, what it, what it means to be a Christian. Where do you think they get that? Do you think they get that at church? That they spend four hours a month at? Or do you think they get it at home? You see, your kids are going to label Christianity, being a Christ follower, serving God by what they see you do by how they see you live. When you say this is what it means to be a Christian, they're watching, they're looking. Are you serving? Are you giving of your time? Are you sacrificially making Jesus' kingdom a priority? Because you see, that's what they're going to pick up on. Because you can tell them a hundred times, Jesus says we got to serve, Jesus says we got to serve. But what you are doing is much louder than what you are saying. And if all Christianity is to you is to come to church on Sunday, check it off the box and leave your faith when you walk out the door, that's exactly what you'll see lived out in your kids' lives 10 years from now and 15 years from now and 20 years from now. Because the greatest example of Christianity is mom and dad. They need to see you serving. They need to see you living it out. See you showing them what it looks like. We need to lead by example. We need to lead by our own actions. It wasn't enough that they just be a part of the kingdom. She said, I want to see you serve. But it wasn't just enough that they serve, was it? And this is where she got in trouble. She just didn't want them to serve. She wanted them to be on the left hand and the right hand of Jesus. And that's where people discount her. That's where she gets in trouble. Because they say, how can she expect her kids to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus? That, that was the greatest honor. People get mad. I like it. Because what parent doesn't want their kids to be the best that they can be? What parent is willing to say, well, I, I'm okay, and, you know, if they just make it and just kind of squeeze by? You want your parent to, you want your kids to give it everything, don't you? You want your kids to pursue it with everything that they've got. You want them to do everything they can to give glory to God and to be the best that they can be. That's all she was praying. She said, listen, I see all these other disciples. Listen, I got two boys that don't just want to be a part of the kingdom. They, they want to serve. And not only do they want to serve, they want to be in a place where they can make a difference. 
That was her prayer. She took it to the feet of Jesus. And do you notice, Jesus didn't say no. He didn't say yes. What did he say? He said, it's not for me to determine. It's for my Father to determine. But he didn't turn her away. I think Jesus in his heart said, that's the kind of mom we need. A mom that's willing to come and stand before him and plead for their kids. A mom that's willing to say, listen, Jesus, I want my kids to do everything it can to glorify you in whatever they do. I want them to be the best. You see, mothers, your greatest passion should be that your kids do everything they can to the glory of God. If they're a housewife, that they be a godly housewife, the best that they can be. If they're a teacher, businessman, coach, executive, police officer, fire, that they be the best that they can be serving the Lord and glorifying the Lord through those gifts. You see, she wasn't a bad guy. She was a passionate mama. I can remember the first time after my mother passed away, her mother, my grandmother, came to hear me preach. It was about 30 years ago, and I have to tell you, it was horrible. I, I am embarrassed the message I preached, but to, to hear her, you'd have thought it was Billy Graham. Right? I mean, it, I don't even, I mean, I can't even fathom what I preached. I've seen the notes, but she came up afterwards and she had tears in her eyes. She had the biggest smile on her face. And my grandmother was one of the most godly women I've ever known for my whole life. And she took me by the hand and she said, Son, you are going to shake the world for the kingdom of God. I didn't believe it, but she did. You know, in the last 30 years, there's been times that I've doubted that I was making a difference. I, I've struggled. Why do you do this? Why do you pour all this into it? I'm not, nobody cares. You're not making a difference. And those words of my grandmother, because you see, when I didn't believe it, and when I don't believe it, I know she does. And that's enough for the two of us. And it's enough to keep me going. You see, your kids need you to expect the best and believe that they can do it. Believe in them. She believed in her kids. She went to the Son of God and said, my two boys can do it. And Jesus said, wait a minute, you don't know what you're asking. She said, yeah, I do. They can do it. That's the kind of moms we need if we're going to see a difference today. She had passion, and she showed it. And guess what? I don't know if right now James and John are sitting at the right or the left hand of Christ, but I know that when Jesus left this earth, they shook the world. They took the gospel to the far reaches. They started churches. They were persecuted. They stood up when everyone else sat down. They proclaimed the truth of the gospel. They pursued Jesus and his relationship with everything that they had. And I have to believe it's because they saw their mama stand before Jesus and say, these boys can do it. You see, she had a mother's passion. She has mother's love, and that's what we're here to celebrate today. We're here to celebrate our mothers. And I think that's probably why it's so special, because we recognize that a mom's love is the closest love we'll ever see on this earth to God's love. Unconditional. 
It's the walking embodiment of how God loves us. Now I know not all of us had perfect moms because not all of us are perfect people. Everyone makes mistakes. And I would encourage you if you and your mother don't have a good relationship or maybe she's passed and there's not good memories, why not look at her in a new light? Why not try to find the redeeming things that really made a difference in your life? And if your mom's still around, you better talk to her. You better call her. Let her know that you love her. Even if you're on the outs, call her. I love you, Mom. But you don't know how much more time you have. And the passion of a loving mother changes our lives. I found a poem that says it better than I can. It says, Your love, I know, I've seen your tears. You've given to me my life. You've walked through hours and days and years of heartache, toil, and strife. To see that I could have the best that you could give to me, you gave up needs and often rest. You viewed eternity. To do His will, my highest call, and by your special care, I stood and walked and did not fall. You held me up in prayer. Though strands of gray may brush your hair and miles divide our way, I know that by your quiet prayer you've helped me day by day. You've shown me how to give, to share, to put my own needs last. You've helped me see and be aware that life is too soon past. Despite your love, I would not dare, for there is not another who spreads her gentle love and care like you, our loving mothers. Would you join me in prayer?